podcast. Good to be back. I'm, I'm on spring break this week, so I'm just chilling doing a show with Kyle Anzalone. You, got, you guys know Kyle Anzalone. You can find him at foreignpolicyfocus.libsyn.com. That's foreignpolicyfocus.libsyn.com. That's his main podcast. And if it's this is your first time listening to Kyle, he's a genius on uh, foreign policy. He knows a lot. And just listen to him. You'll see what I mean. Um, we're going to be talking about mostly Russiagate today. We're going to start off. Well, let me link one more thing. I'm link, I'm link to uh, libertarianinstitute.org. And that's where you'll find uh, Kyle's daily news roundup. And uh, that's where that's Scott Horn's site. So you, you got, a, got, a, got a lot of good content there. Excuse me. Um, but we're going to talk about Russiagate today. And we're going to start off by just talking about some current events. So, well, how are you doing, Kyle? Welcome to the show again. Yeah, thanks <laughs> for having me back on the show. Uh, thanks for writing my content over at the LP Mises Caucus website. I know that's a big thing that you're involved in and helping to move along. And so I encourage any other writers out there to, you know, throw you some stories because uh, I'm pretty excited about the project you got going on over there. I'm happy to be a part of it. Yes, we need writers right now. But uh, for anyone listening, Kyle does a, a daily news roundup every day. I think you wake up like 5.30 every morning and you just compile like 20, 25 new, news articles. And if you just wake up in the morning and you don't have much time, you have like five minutes, go just read through the links, click on a few links if you like, and you'll get a ton of information for that day. So uh, I'm happy to be able to post it every day because I get to read all that. But, I, yeah, I do give myself an advantage to start on the night before, but uh, yeah, okay. I'm up, I'm up early you. every morning. Uh, usually it's up on the you know Libertarian Institute site by 6.30 uh, Eastern time. So oh, that way everybody could just click on the link real quick and uh, read through, see what the base stories are of the day. And whoever intrigues you, I always got the links on there to make sure, you know, if you want to read the full story or whatever. And, you know, the, the, these aren't links to like French websites either. I mean, if you go through and read through, you'll be like, oh, you know, he's just talking about, you know, uh, fringe cases of police abuse and everything like that. But pretty much everything I've linked to is from, you know, pretty mainstream or solid alternative media sources. Well, I guess one thing I have to notice is out of all the stories you gather each day, I doubt hardly any of them make the mainstream, like maybe like one or two of the popular cases that day make it and the rest of them just kind of fade into the abyss. Uh, they never get heard about, but they're some of them are just like, man, these are all atrocious stories. Like, uh, so I guess maybe we could start off with like Somalia. Like, what's going on in Somalia right now? They're getting bombarded by airstrikes. Yeah, so quietly, very quietly, right at the beginning of the Trump administration, he declares, I believe, areas in Yemen and Somalia as areas of active hostilities, and this really loosened up what kind of authorities the U.S. would need, uh, you know, different military people to carry out airstrikes in Somalia. And so AFRICOM right now, uh, which isn't, I, I believe, still isn't based on the African continent, it's actually based out of Germany, is waging a pretty heavy air war in Somalia. In 2017, the first year of the Trump administration, I believe the reported number was in the like two to three dozen airstrikes. Uh, last year, the, the number of known and emitted strikes was closer to 50. And then this year, we're already at, I believe, like closing in on 30. And, it, you know, I, I use these kind of vague terms for words because they really don't admit to strikes unless they're direct, asked directly. So if they say, you know, we got some documentation in this region uh, from, you know, maybe like, say, June 2nd to June 3rd, did you carry out an airstrike there? Then they'll say yes. Uh, but there's times where 
We still don't know for sure who carried out the airstrike, and the possibility is, too, there's also a CIA drone war going on in that country. And so for those of you who know more about Yemen, how there's kind of a separate war against the Houthis and against al-Qaeda and ISIS, I think there's a little bit of the same situation there, where the war, I guess, on both sides is maybe against against al-Shabaab, but the CIA is definitely carrying out their own drone war separate from the U.S. Uh, AFRICOM war. Now, the target of that war is majority al-Shabaab. There is an ISIS affiliate in Somalia. Uh, at, at, I think it's most it numbered about 200 people, and I'm not quite sure how you know ISIS these guys are. If you look at different affiliates, ISIS affiliates around the world, uh, none I, I seem to be quite as extreme as you know the original caliphate setting people on fire and you know the extreme brutality they've been able to uh, oppress on people. And even if you look at Afghanistan, they're just the Pakistani Taliban who are taking refugee uh, or refuge in Afghan Afghanistan and you know have branded themselves ISIS Khorasan group. But I think this is more you know strategic. Uh, I've joked about you know jihadist marketing, uh, very darkly joked. But you know these these groups are looking for fun. And so calling yourself ISIS probably helps you to, you know, get money from whoever the hell is sick enough to give money uh, to a terrorist organization. So you have had uh, airstrikes against ISIS in uh, Somalia as well. Um, um, I, I imagine just just going by history, just the patterns in history, if it's not the U.S. sending out the airstrikes, it's probably someone else that we sold U.S. Uh, military weapons to. So probably no matter what, the the remnants of these uh, missiles on the ground. It probably says made in USA. Would you agree? Yeah. And, uh, I mean, I know that there is a Somali National Army, but one of the big problems here is that they really don't have any power to control any of the region. Probably the southern third of Somalia, if you look on a map, is controlled by Al-Shabaab, and they really don't have any possibility to take it. In 2016, in fact, some ambitious U.S. Special Operation Forces attempted to go in, seize a city, I believe Bariri is how you would pronounce it, B-R-I-I-R-E, and uh, ended up, you know, carrying out a very traditional counterinsurgency operation where they, you know, go try to secure and, uh, you know, become popular, take away financial resources of Al-Shabaab, and completely failed. And in fact, that counterinsurgency operation may have sparked the Mogadishu terrorist bombing, and I believe that was in October 2016, uh, which is the largest terrorist attack in the history of Africa. I believe the last count was over 600 people uh, had died in that. So, you know, these are kind of the operations the U.S. has tried to carry out in Somalia in the past, but we carry out these airstrikes, but there's no way for, like, if we, let's say, blow up an Al-Shabaab checkpoint, there's no Somali army oftentimes able to come in. I think a lot of the African Union forces that are in that country are losing interest in it. Uh, you, I think Burundi is now withdrawing all their forces uh, from Somalia. And so if you can't secure then you're never going to be able to really win an air war against an insurgency. We see the same thing in Yemen, where Saudi Arabia has carried out thousands of airstrikes in that country and has made almost no progress in four years. If you look at maps of the battle lines over four years in Yemen, it is unbelievable how little that war has changed. I mean, maybe you would even be able to compare to like World War One trench warfare levels of the battle lines just do not change. And it's because you have an air war, but you don't have any ground troops to go in and secure it. And when you're blowing up people, you know, this is Stanley McChrystal's insurgent, Matt. This isn't, you know, radical anti-war Kyle Anzalone saying it. It's, you know, U.S. General Command of Afghan forces, uh, Stanley McChrystal, that if you kill two, you end up with 20. So what yeah, do you do? Yeah, and 
it, it sounds like we can't possibly know all the times these atrocities are happening. Uh, maybe maybe we know half of them. Maybe we, maybe we know a quarter of them. But if we don't have that information, well, there's a large faction that's off there fighting that we don't even know about. I was going to ask you, related to Somalia, do they still have a government? Or are they more or less kind of like Yemen, where you just kind of have like competing factions? You have like Houthis, you know, I think they still own like, they control like 80% of Yemen last time I heard you say. Is it kind of like that? Or have they, do they have some type of official government? Or I, I know Somalia and Libya, those are two of the countries that now like still have slavery, like literal, literal slavery. Yeah, I'm not. I, I mean, I'm sure there's plenty of like sex trafficking and that kind of slavery going on in Somalia. I'm not sure like about Libyan open slavery, but uh, you may have right. read those reports. Yeah. Um, just to credit all of that kind of stuff I said about uh, the war, a lot of that reporting was done by Amanda Sperber in The Nation. So check out her work. Uh, she's she's pretty good on the Somalia stuff. How do you spell S P E R B E R. Got it. I'll put that in the show notes. But as far as the, the governments in Somalia go, I think there's like four regional governments and there's four regional presidents. And I think varying region, like the region controlled by Al-Shabaab. I don't think the central government has a whole lot of influence there at all. There is still the capital city of Mogadishu that's not currently controlled by Al-Shabaab. So there's a, a government there and I think an official president there. And then there's Somaliland and I think Puntland are the two other governments. I don't know very much about those. I do know that there is uh, quite a bit of violence recently in Mogadishu, uh, mostly Al-Shabaab terror attacks uh, coming because a uh, during the Somali regional elections for the Al-Shabaab region, uh, this guy who was a former member of Al-Shabaab but had claimed to go gone through the uh, what de-terrorism process, whatever they name that as, you know, giving up your guns and your allegiances and, you know, being without contact for these people for so many years. And he was running and would have likely won the, the president for the Al-Shabaab region. And uh, they arrested him just before the election and took his name off the ballot. And so, uh, you know, I don't think that the central government is in any way representative of the, you know, kind of territory held by Al-Shabaab. And I don't really even know if there's like any kind of pretext that they could even reclaim that land anytime soon. Oh man, what a mess. What a mess. I don't want to go too completely off topic. Um, I know when Somalia's government collapsed, I mean, that's, that's why you have the joke, you know, why don't you guys just move to Somalia? They, they don't have a government there. Um, I'll, I'll link to it because I don't, I don't want to go too off track here, but Tom Woods had a guy on. And basically what the guy was arguing is that, yeah, um, you have to look at Somalia before and after the government collapsed. What, when were they better off? Were they, were they better off when the government was still hanging on by a thread? Or they, were they better off when it actually collapsed and it turns out to be the latter? Uh, I'll link to that. I, was, I can't remember the Tom Woods episode name, but um, you know it's interesting. Now, I know there's stuff going on in Venezuela. Um, there's a lot of obfuscation there because there was that case the other week, um, a few weeks ago, I think now, where you had that, what was it, like a food truck? You know, They're trying to bring supplies in and it caught on fire. And the way the media captured it, I mean, this would have been a point I agree with. Like, yeah, of course, of course the socialists are burning all the food. But I think what, what happened, maybe you could touch on that. It wasn't, uh, wasn't what the media said. 
Yeah, this was the big day towards the end of February, the 20th or the 23rd, maybe, where you had, uh, it was the big concert that was held by the Virgin Airlines guy, Richard Brunson, I think is his name, uh, right across the border of a bridge in Colombia uh, with the, the border in Venezuela. And they uh, had, were supposed to have, you know, Juan Guaido, the guy who proclaimed himself uh, with the backing of the United States to be president of Venezuela, no actual constitutional authority. Uh, for Venezuelan constitutional authority for it whatsoever. And, you know, they were going to go over, there's going to be a whole bunch of army defections, and they were going to bring a bunch of much-needed food aid into the country. This story is, story is perfect to talk about for, uh, you know, kind of the, the problems with the reporting going on in Venezuela for several reasons. One is there's a portrayal that Venezuela is now allowing any aid into the country and that the Maduro government is starving his own people. This is untrue, and in fact, international aid is coming into the country, uh, specifically from Russia and China. And I believe India is uh, important to that. And like, you know, there's Cuban doctors in the country, uh, this kind of thing. So there's that. If you looked at reporting from, you know, journalists on the ground, uh, the Gray Zone Project people, Matt, Matt Blumenthal and Ben Norton, uh, I think Dan Cohn as well, were on the ground for a few weeks in Venezuela. And there certainly weren't uh, you know, no food on the shelves. Now, I'm not saying that I want to go live in Venezuela and that, you know, humanitarian conditions there are perfect and that, you know, it's like just like being in Miami. But I am saying that, you know, it's not the portrayal of like, you know, 10 miles away, people are staying in a bread line. You know what I mean? It's not quite that bad right now. Now, there's definitely been times where there's long bread lines, huge food short shortages, but I think oil prices have rebounded a little bit. Uh, the Venezuelan currency has stabilized a little bit. You know, we're not looking at the same inflation. Uh, I heard one Venezuelan say, you know, we're at the point now where if you go to the grocery store at the beginning of the week, you could expect the price is going to be relatively the same at the end of the week. So, uh, you know, the, the state of the Venezuelan economy isn't as bad as they say, and there's aid getting into that country. Uh, the other point here is the bridge they keep showing. There's this bridge and you see some barricades on the Venezuelan side and they make it really that the portrayal was is that they shut down this bridge so that aid couldn't get into Venezuela. Well, it turns out that this bridge was constructed years ago. I think it officially opened in like 20. 14 I, I could be off by a year or so there but anyways it, it's been you know constructed for years but it's never ever been opened and so the, the barricade wasn't put there to prevent aid from getting into the country it was because uh venezuela has a closed border uh here with colombia and then the other issue was is that on the day that they try to bring the aid over uh one of the aid trucks got set on fire now, within a day of this occurring, if you, uh, you know, had been on Immersion News or reading my daily news roundup, you would have had links to the video showing an errant throw. I don't think it was intentional from the Venezuelan opposition. I think they were actually throwing a Molotov cocktail at the uh, Venezuelan border security and hit one of these aid trucks and it caught on fire and it burned up. Um, so I'm not saying it was like an intentional false flight situation, but that's the way it happened. Now, weeks later, the New York Times reports on this like it's news. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I think they used a lot of the same video content, which uh, was at least originally made public to me by uh, Matt Blumenthal. And so, you know, give him credit for that, doing great work down there. And I know, you know, it's a commie talking about a communist country, uh, but, you know, he has video evidence. And if you look at his track, rack, track record, 
Or he's an honest reporter and does, you know, good, important work. And, uh, you know, well, that's I, I the bought, story of the A-Trump firing up in Venezuela. I bought the official story, too. I mean, I've been covering Venezuela for about a year and a half, two years now. And, yeah, I think it, it may have gotten better just because they've had so much worldly pressure on them. It's like everybody knows you don't have food in your shelves. You, be you better change that or... I don't, I don't know, maybe our government was actually threatening them to, the, to an extent where it's like, look, um, it's, it's not like we sit here and we want you to starve. It just, just so we can say it's from socialism, like we would like you to actually feed your people. Maybe it has progressively gotten better. Why? I don't, I don't know. Yeah, um, I think oil prices is one thing. Um, yeah, oil then... prices are the, the highest they've been this year right now. I heard Peter Schiff talk about it. I I forget if they're like sixty dollars a barrel, eighty dollars a barrel. I but. think they're closing in on seventy, and that was like a kind of a bigger benchmark. But the other thing, and and this is a trend I've seen uh, now in both Iran and Russia, where U.S. sanctions will like have pretty big impact on an economy when they are in place, but eventually it stabilizes, and you know new new. Uh, business markets are opened up and you figure out how to do business with us sanctions and uh so that doesn't mean that you know people like in iraq can't starve to death but i guess there's enough wealth coming into venezuela right now to at least you know not have that level of humanitarian disaster on their hands probably just a lot of factors at once i know people were fleeing for many years in a row people are just fleeing fleeing, fleeing oh, and I, i'm sure they still are it's yeah. not a great economy like i said i don't want to go live in uh you know be a venezuelan i think there's you know a, as well us sanctions still hurt that uh economy and you know looking at the track record of you know what imperialism has done to different countries especially with huge amounts of natural resources that i mean that's an issue too but certainly that the loans that the Chavez and Maduro governments took out and their massive, uh, you know, price controls and minimum wage and all these policies were absolutely destructive to that economy as well. So it's not just one thing. It's a bunch of things. And uh, yeah, I guess that's always like kind of the, the stance I've learned to take as I read world news is that, yeah. you know, from a libertarian position, it's really easy to blame the commie government. And that was yeah. my initial reaction first too. But there's a lot of other things going on at the same time. There's plenty of tragedies happening there. There's no need at all to mischaracterize them and like make up a story because you, you don't need to do that. That's one reason I'm so scared that if we invade there, it's really just giving the communists ammunition because look, uh, if, if their economy gets worse from that moment, they're just going to say, okay, well, obviously it's not socialism that's doing it. It's intervention. It's sanctions. It's whatever. Personally, I think, I think it is socialism. It's just the, uh, the sanctions are kind of like the nail in the coffin. But if things are getting better, don't freaking invade the, the the country because i mean they might use that as a political means to you know hey look at this it's obviously hasn't been socialism um so yeah so venezuela i you know I, I pray for those people every day i do hope it's getting better um you know maybe we could just touch on really quick i want to touch on north korea and i'm curious if you know what's going on in yemen because obviously we we did an episode last year and there's they're saying like 10 million people could possibly be at least at that starving point, maybe not dead, but starving. So maybe you can just touch on those two countries real quick and then we'll jump in the Russia gate. Yeah, I'll do this North Korea one fast. So we had the Hanoi summit and it didn't go well. And, uh, you know, afterwards you had North Korea saying that they may take back, uh, you know, some of their uh, steps that they've taken towards denuclearization. There's been reports that, that they're reconstructing some missile facilities. The, the problem with that is, is that sometimes uh, improvements on a facility means adding an air conditioning unit or repairing a door. 
not, you know, reconstructing the launch pad. But there there has been some evidence that North Korea is taking steps towards, uh, I believe, constructing a launch pad possibly for like a space rocket test. And a space rocket is inherently different from an ICBM missile kind of thing. So don't believe any of that. I, I'll go into that some other time on your show if you want. Uh, but the the kind of big step was that it seemed John Bolton had really gotten a hand in the North Korean policy. And this is a reporting from Daniel Davis. Uh, he's a fir- former lieutenant colonel, I believe, and he wrote this at the National Interest that you know Bolton had really gotten a hold of the policy and was demanding the complete surrender of the North Korean people up front you know for them to really destroy even their civilian nuclear program or really limit the capabilities give up all their nuclear weapons and their missiles the North Korean people well, the North Korean government. Oh, right. sorry. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so the the North Korean government, I guess, in some ways represents the people as well in that, you know, if they end up going to war, the people are going to die too. Uh, but yeah, I, that was kind of a slip of tongue on my part. Um, and then uh, also destroy their chemical and biological weapons. So this is even steps beyond, I think, what denuclearization kind of looked like in the eyes of the, the North Koreans going into this. And it looked like, you know, things were going bad. Now, the good thing is, is that we have Mu Jae-in, the president of South Korea, who's really ideologically committed to making this Korean peace process work, and he really wants it to happen. And so he's even talking about setting up new summits with Kim Jong-un as we speak. But today we had Donald Trump uh, say that we're halting putting new sanctions on North Korea, and that's not the same thing as walking bad sanctions. I know that, but hey, I'm excited uh, that Donald Trump seems to be making at least this right step on uh, North Korea. And just to wrap up the point, um, it's it's troubling when you see people and you're like, this is basically what they say. How could Trump possibly work with that evil dictator? It's just, I don't even know. What, what do you say to that? You know, the, a lot of these people are political. These people who live in North Korea, they're political prisoners. I forget how many people live there. Is it like 20, 30 million people? It's, a, it's in the millions. So, you know, the way Michael Mouse describes it, they're kind of like hostages. They're not completely idiots. They're not completely hypnotized. They're hostages. And just just to say, oh, well, Trump should just uh, blow him off the map because he shouldn't work with a dictator. It's just like, oh, my God, this is this is the neocon mindset that we just can't get rid of. I mean, ugh. Right. Well, the, that's the interesting thing is that, you know, the, the same people who talk about doing it for liberating the North Korean people are also talking about the liberating them from their lives. Right. You know what I mean, they're like, let's we're going to just send them all to heaven. <laughs> that's, you know, that maybe is John Bolton's policy or something crazy like that. But uh, I guess the, the point I was going to make is that, you know, normalizing relations with South Korea is the way to go to liberate the, the Korean people. I mean, just look at the steps already being taken, you know, saying uh, rail travel between the two countries, making roads between the two countries. How the hell do you think people are going to get to South Korea if there's not a road? You know what I mean? So yeah. uh, they've destroyed several border uh, kind of posts and positions and, you know, the, it if you want to loosen up, this is literally loosening up tensionings on the borders. And so if you want people to cross, this is the way you would do it. I, I mean, I, I guess in a way, this is kind of what you would see with the, the fall of the Soviet Union when you had the Berlin Wall coming down and then people could cross over. But uh, there has there was some normalizing relations before that with like the INF Treaty and all the other good things that Reagan was doing with Gorbachev right there in the late 80s. Uh, that unfortunately... Thanks to John Bolton and two different administrations now, 
uh, is destroying all that great work. And you mentioned Yemen, and I'll just say that way we could move on to Russiagate. That uh, I'm lucky enough to have been on the Sherry Voluntary Show for a second time, and Sherry's a good friend of mine, and I think Stephen as well. And uh, oh yes, um, yeah. So, anyways, uh, I don't know when this episode will drop, but within days of this episode dropping, it'll either have already been published or uh, will then come out uh, talking about Yemen in great detail. Um, so I, I really go over pretty much everything that I think is important on Yemen in that episode. So definitely listen to that if you can. So just a one word answer. Is it getting better? Or is it getting worse? Worse. Okay. Well, wow. That's not good to hear. Well, that's depressing. Let's move. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm going to link to everything we've touched on so far. I've been writing all this stuff down. Um, so Russiagate, if you guys are watching the news today, you know that the, um, the Mueller report has wrapped up and, from what I understand, it's done now. Like, uh, most likely, nothing's going to come out of it. Um, the left is having a meltdown right now. So, I guess we're going to try to backtrack here. You know, talk about where it started. Uh, where did all this Russian cl- has this been prevalent in prior elections? I mean, this Russia collusion thing has been around. It's kind of like a Cold War mentality, I would imagine. Right? It has to come I, I- for that. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't, I don't. I think a lot of it came from just the Hillary Clinton's, uh, you know, refusal to accept that she lost, combined with the fact that Trump's an oaf. Oh, definitely. That's a whole bunch of stupid things, and a, a lot of people can't imagine how he became president. And you know, it, it's a lot. I think easier for some people to think that oh, it was these Russian Facebook ads and Donald Trump teamed up with them to you know make this happen in the collusion versus. Well, Hillary Clinton was kind of stupid. There are videos of her fainting. She didn't look particularly good against him in the debates. Uh, the fact that, you know, her husband has a track record of abusing women um, and that she didn't campaign in the state she needed to, like I think Pennsylvania, Michigan, and a few others, uh, is the reason that she lost the election. She and, was in bad health there for a while, too. There was a one instance where, like... Um, this is on video and she like looks like she's about to pass out. Yeah, it's the 9-11 thing, right? Yeah. It's like at the 9-11 memorial. So it's like two months before the election. Not to mention that there's years and years of Clinton corruption. And I know that Donald Trump's corrupt too, but he hasn't been in the public eye, uh, at, at least in the you know politics, quite as long. And so there there were all of her speeches that she gave to these uh like Goldman Sachs types organizations, mm-hmm. and then up you know, we're not going to release the transcripts of those. I mean, that was something that really propelled Bernie Sanders. You have the Clinton Foundation taking millions of dollars from these, you know, Saudi Gulf monarchies and then selling them tons of weapons. And, you know, the Yemen policy started off during Hillary Clinton's time in, in you know, Secretary of State. And so there's, I guess, a lot of questions at least to be raised there, isn't there? That, you know, she was taking all this money uh, from the Saudis and then try to put a Saudi stop up in charge of Yemen that caused all the problems that we have now. Um, and we're just talking about like Hillary's character. I mean, right. Uh, th- think about the fact that many years ago, so this is what Tulsi Gabbard's on, on, uh, she's getting hit hard for is because I think she had some different views about homosexuality than she does now in 2019. And she admits it, but you look at what Hillary Clinton was saying. She was saying things that are pretty much exactly the same or worse. Um, I think Bob Murphy, when, I think one of the latest episodes of Contra Krugman, Bob Murphy like played a trick. He's just like, look, uh, I'm just going to read off these things Tulsi Gabbard said. And he read them off for a few minutes. He's like, ha, ah, those are all Hillary Clinton. Now, you, you, could, you could pull that trick on people and get them to bash Tulsi, and they're bashing Hillary, and they don't know it. 
Um, well, yeah, and I mean, like, think of other policies too, like the Clinton crime bill that Hillary Clinton was all over. Oh, yeah, and how many poor people have ended up in jail for way too long because of that. And uh, her immigration policy certainly wasn't always open borders. I mean, I'm sure you could probably play that game and say, "Oh, this is a horrendous thing that Donald Trump said last week, and up it was Hillary Clinton's immigration policy." And you know, 1999, she was running for senator or whatever. Um, well, the candidates we yeah. like, they 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 actually ch changed deep down. Uh, Tulsi Gabbard, I mean, sure, she she supposedly changed too, but she didn't because she's not my candidate. I mean, that's basically it, what it comes down to. <laughs> it, well, and then the other thing was is the whole James Comey stuff, and I really think this played a large role in Hillary Clinton losing the election and how the FBI handled that investigation. Now, I. I one thing that hasn't come to light at all is that James Comey was some kind of secret sap puppet of Donald Trump. And in fact, Comey has been very anti-Donald Trump since getting fired. Donald Trump fired James Comey pretty early into his presidency. Right. <laughs> so it doesn't seem to me that there, you know, is any kind of way that, that like Trump colluded with James Comey uh, to screw Hillary Clinton here. And in fact, I think it was Hillary Clinton's corruption finally caught up to her. And then, you know, when the FBI's only move was to say that she's guilty of all these things, but we don't recommend charges so she could could continue to try and become president uh that was a, that was too much I, that, look how ridiculous that sounds you know you're not gonna charge her you're the fbi you put martha stewart in jail you're not gonna put hillary clinton in jail and then you know that like this is apparently the only person the fbi ever verbally interviewed off the record and all this other stuff and, and so uh, you know i think that it was a large part of that now honestly i gotta say i was surprised that Hillary Clinton lost that election, even on election night, I thought she was going to win. Yeah. I was like, you know, wasn't a hundred percent sure, but I would say, you know, 75, 25 or so that Hillary Clinton was going to win that election. So, you know, I guess take with the grain of salt, all my, uh, you know, uh, us politic analysis with that, that I didn't catch on to that, but yeah. Yeah. So Hillary, Hillary Clinton, uh, the Clintons in general, pretty poor characters, pretty piss poor people. Um, so I think you kind of want to start it off with the dossier. Is that what you want yeah. to start? Yeah. So did I say that right? dossier? Dossier. dossier uh, this me. is um, yeah, the the Trump dossier. You know, this is the opposition research put together. Uh, Fusion GPS to former UK, uh, you know, former spy Christopher Steele, and this you know comes with all kind of allegations, including the P tape. Um, you know, they tried to find parts of this that turn out to be true. A big one recently was uh, Michael. Cohen allegedly being in Prague or not on a certain day. And it turns out that almost everything in, in this dossier is absolute garbage, right? Yeah. yeah. But at the same time, we later find out uh, through releases, uh, I believe it's the FISA release, right? Uh, from the, the FISA warrant that the FBI applied for under Donald Trump, that this was uh, likely a part of the reason they applied for that FISA warrant. And this was during the election, remember? So, you know, while the Mueller investigation is going on, I guess, for about 20 months that started in May of 2017. I mean, the, the FBI is investigating Donald Trump pretty early on. We had the pages from are the tents from Lisa Page and Peter Strzok, where they're, you know, talking about their insurance policy in case Donald Trump becomes president. So the FBI is conspiring against Trump from pretty early on here. Uh, and, you know, Andrew McCabe was involved in all of this as well. Uh, I think that's why there was some speculation that, what if in the end it was Hillary Clinton that was using the Russians? And uh, there, there was definitely that, that argument. But, you know, the fact that they had 
what was it? A Donald Trump uh, advisor or so, something like that uh, tapped, uh, wiretapped. Uh, I don't know. It's just, uh, how do you go on to say that, that Donald Trump's the Russian colluder? Um, right. Honestly, I just got, I just got to mention for, for the viewers, by the way, I don't really know many of these details. I do not watch the news. Kyle's like more the news guy. So I'm kind of just giving out my thoughts here where Kyle's going to give out the facts. So just if you're wondering why I'm not saying anything um, worthwhile, it's because I don't know anything. <laughs> yeah, and, and I guess I should say I didn't watch any news on Russia Gate, and maybe that's why I'm good on it because I read all the stories and I read them all the way to completion. There that you go. means <laughs> you know when the Washington Post put are the I, was the, either the Post or the Times put out a ten thousand word review of uh, you know Russia Gate that basically was painting Donald Trump into a corner, and then in you know paragraph 155 of 198 it says there's no public you know evidence at all that proves donald trump illegally colluded with russia in any way i i made sure i read all of that and so that's i i feel like that's always my leg up on other people is i don't watch rachel maddow tell you every night that oh my god it's gonna be so cold in montana that if the russians turn off our power they could kill us all hey if uh if you watch the news, you're misinformed. If you don't watch the news, you're uninformed. That, that old days. <laughs> um, so I think we got the Flynn indictment next. So um, by the way, I'm just off to the side, kind of pulling up some stuff so I can add some details if uh, you need some more yeah. details. So yeah, what was the, that? the only other thing I want to, I guess, uh, go on real quick here is that then at the end of the Obama administration, he has them throw together that kind of intelligence thing that's initially reported as an assessment of all 17 U.S. intelligence agencies. It's not as hand-picked analysts from three agencies. And then the NSA then, uh, on like the most important or conclusions of that report, which is, you know, did Russia, uh, I guess, I think it was the Clinton, the DNC, the DNCC emails, were they responsible for that? The, the NSA was uh, only somewhat sure, whereas the CIA was all the way sure. And uh, kind of what we've heard from people like Bill Binney and former uh, NSA, uh, you know, kind of directors and spy chiefs and everything, that the NSA would be the people that know that. So if they're only moderately confident, that's a, a real question mark from us. But you remember this, it took months before. I think it was the New York Times that issued a correction because they kept saying it was 17 intelligence agencies. Uh, Hillary Clinton was out there saying it. that's not the case at all. So the, that report was completely bunk. Then we get this Michael Flynn indictment and everybody is like, aha, we knew it. Michael Flynn was having secret conversations with the Russians. Now, the conversation that Michael Flynn had with the Russians during the transition period. So this is after Trump is elected but before he became president. So it, there's a little bit of a complicated kind of thing here because in, in one sense, if the U.S. and Russia want to plan for our policy for more than two months away, then maybe Michael Flynn does have to talk to a Russian ambassador. And this call was at, you know tapped by uh, you know different intelligence agencies and stuff. And you would figure Michael Flynn had to know that. He, I mean, he was a former DIA um, or DNI. But uh, here, uh, you know, Flynn has a conversation that says two things that are of importance. 
One is he says that, you know, the Trump policy will maybe be a little bit lighter on uh, Russia diplomatically than Obama. So don't overreact. Because remember, Obama was way overreacting to Trump being elected president and kicking Russians out of the country and doing all kinds of crazy uh, diplomatic stuff. And the second thing was he lobbied the Russian ambassador to veto a UN Security Council resolution that was going to be critical of Israel because the Obama administration that announced that they would not veto it. And because of when it was coming up and uh, because, you know, Donald Trump is uh, probably bought and paid for by Sheldon Adelson, not Vladimir Putin, um, you know, we, we had Michael Flynn uh, make this ask. And actually, I think there's some evidence that this didn't even come directly through Trump, but uh, rather through Kushner. Uh, the son-in-law there. And so that's uh, kind of the the story behind Michael Flynn and Russiagate. Now, what he actually goes down for is uh, apparently being an unregistered lobbyist of Turkey. Uh, when Michael Flynn was, I believe sometime in 2016, was given a few tens of thousands of dollars by the Turkish government to his security analysis firm or whatever the hell. I mean, I think in a lot of ways, what Turkey was doing was paying Michael Flynn, uh, uh, you know, a retired general to say, we agree this way with Turkish policy. A Turkish policy is good for the United States. You know, it's, it's kind of like a bribe payment. But anyways, yeah. that's what happens. And because Flynn didn't register as a foreign agent, then uh, he ends up, you know, that that's kind of what he gets in trouble for. There's also some speculation here that Flynn's son would have been the guy to really go down for this because I think he was much more heavily involved with uh, that Flynn's group at the time than Michael Flynn was. And so there's even some, uh, you know, people out there saying that, well, the only reason Flynn took the deal that he did, I think he also admitted to lying to the FBI, uh, is because, you know, he thought his son could go down for uh, not registering as a illegal foreign agent. But anyways, nothing that Flynn actually goes down for has anything at all to do with colluding with Russia. But it all sounds so serious, like when it all first comes out, like, oh, this this must lead to some crazy thing. It's like, oh, it, it led to nothing. What? I, it's funny. I mean, I, I have a few points here to make. So one point I just can't help but notice. Um, it's a little bit funny that people on the left would look at Trump and be like, he's colluding with communists because essentially that's, that's kind of like what they're implicitly saying is like, you know, you're, you're colluding with Russia, like you're, you're in bed with the communists. It's kind of funny that the, like the left's accusing the right of that. It's just one random funny point I, I wanted to make. Um, now I'm, I'm just thinking about like plausibility wise. Um, I can think of a few different scenarios this could occur. Now let's imagine that in the first scenario, Donald Trump and, and Hillary Clinton have nothing to do with Russia, but there are people in Russia that want to sabotage wh whoever just for whatever reason. What's to stop them from doing that? Just uh, that, that's one possibility, right? Is that they're in Russia, they're doing whatever they want to do to get the information over. And it shows up as like, oh, you know, what's all this? What's this IP from Russia coming from? I can imagine another case could be some guy in Zimbabwe and a VPN connected to the Russia uh, server or Russian uh, servers. And uh, maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, maybe that doesn't even make sense. Maybe they can go way deeper than that and prove that wrong. But it just seems like the plausi plausibility wise, it's hard to say. It, couldn't it be that Hillary Clinton hired somebody from Russia to sabotage Trump? And then it's like Hillary's just playing the game. Like, look, like Russian, these Russian people keep messing with Trump 
or it could be either way or just uh, you know does it does that make sense sorry i felt well, like that yeah, was no, i there. mean there's actually a conspiracy theory remember that when wikileaks was about to drop the clinton emails guccifer 2.0 uh, dropped the email some at least some of the emails first and there was some uh speculation that you know maybe the dncc are uh, members of the uh, clinton camp were actually the the guccifer or at least the emails to guccifer to to leak out first um but anyways, like, let's remember, too, I guess, you know, just while I'm talking about those emails real quick, that they're, they're all legit, right? So the, the problem here, what people are saying is that, you know, the uh, a lot of the general conspiracy is that Donald Trump worked with the Russian government to get the emails uh, stolen from the DNCC and, I guess, Podesta servers and then funneled to WikiLeaks through a Russian cutout uh, to then publish to the U.S. people. Now, one of the things is this is a real big problem. Maybe if the emails are fake, but they're all real, right? Uh, so, uh, you know, that's oh the yeah, first people wouldn't be bad at WikiLeaks otherwise if they were fake. I mean, why would you care? <laughs> right, but but then it turns out, you know, and this is a big conclusion. I mean, read about in the the New York Times today. Uh, their article, uh, the the you know URL there is just I think slash politics slash Mueller dash report um, is you know, lays out that there's no public evidence of anything dealing with Donald Trump and WikiLeaks, Donald Trump and Russia, that WikiLeaks got the emails from Russia. I mean, Julian Assange has offered, you know, and I think in exchange for immunity uh, or even, you know, just kind of having the conversation on his own terms to let the, you know, kind of U.S. government know uh, that the Russians didn't get the give WikiLeaks the emails and he was going to give them some kind of proof on how that would be and i think you know he still wants to do that without giving away his source because that's a big part of the ideology of WikiLeaks is that you don't have to give up your sources which is a really important journalistic uh you know tent um, yeah i gotta ask maybe we can just try to clarify this point for viewers and just uh for anyone in general what does influence be i think when the average person hears influence they think um maybe the russians were somehow getting like 10,000 a million extra votes in for Donald Trump maybe maybe it could be i don't know what is influence supposed to mean in context in this election yeah, it's really hard to say what that meant at first. I guess I think at first it was probably the emails, but then it's pretty clear that it can't be the emails. And so at the end I think it's more along the lines of why I want to talk about Nessia is the internet research agency and apparently Russia using our social media to conspire and influence and trick dumb Americans into voting for Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. Now, the, the important thing is, is that a lot of this money was spent through a group called the internet research agency. And what they started out as is, uh, I guess the guy who started owned a school lunch company in Russia and made really bad school food. No, that makes sense, out, by the way. <laughs> right. If, and I guess is also, you know, pretty connected to Vladimir Putin. So that's how he gets the contract in Russia to make, uh, you know, all these school lunches and finds that it's easier rather than making better lunches to like do kind of this internet trolling kind of thing, you know, manipulate the forms and everything. So people think the school lunches are really good. And I think this even included like personal attacks on like kids complaining about their food. Right. So this isn't like a great guy. Or again, man. 
but then he, you know, realizes that, hey, there's a hell of a business here. I could, you know, and starts the internet research agency, which I think is something between like a troll farm and a ratings boosting or maybe ruining company that goes out and like posts different things to, you know, generate different kind of reactions and probably incomes, you know, you sell these accounts or something like that to somebody who's then marketing a product and they now have 10,000 followers that they didn't have to earn. And so, you know, there's all, all these kind of uh internet windows i'm sure a lot of people don't understand i don't completely understand how all of them work but i've been running my own facebook account long enough to understand how valuable like ten thousand lights would be and so then the internet research agency sometime in i think 2015 starts having some people monkey around in the u.s markets and start to do some english uh you know memeing and different things and so they had they were posting things from puppy dogs to you know hillary clinton is saying to the pope endorses donald trump and you know this is used as kind of to say oh this was the malign russian influence that destroyed our election well if you actually look at the money spent on ad revenue and, and you know the posts almost none of the ads were targeting the like, swing states so even the most basic information that people should know about u.s politics that if you need to win elections you know states like florida pennsylvania michigan uh ohio are all extremely important right and california and not so much you know that's going to go left and so if you look at where the ad might was ran very little of it was ran these important states if you look at the dates a lot of it was ran after the election even and then also some of it was pro bernie some of it was just anti-hillary not necessarily pro trump and not necessarily during the time uh you know that it was clearly trump was her opponent and so uh, you know there's a lot of evidence there that this wasn't like necessarily targeted to make Donald Trump president, certainly with not with any substantial amount of money. Gareth Porter does some really good articles at consortiumnews.com where he breaks down the percentages of what these posts by alleged Russians uh, in the internet research agency. And, you know, at times they claim members of the GRU actually had on the election it is very minimal. It's like 0. 0.000 something percent. Right. So we're, we're yeah. talking about almost nothing, but you know, that was another big thing that this was, you know, dead to rights. Russia influenced the election through our social media accounts. And I mean, you know, they drag all these people up in front of Congress. We now have debates about controlling uh, the social media companies because of this. And it turns out it's all nothing. Yeah. And like that line you just said, like uh, something, something influenced election. That's the line that's used over and over. It's not as if um, that person did th that person did that specific thing to, to influence election that specific way. It's kind of all up in the air. Like uh, if people don't have a certain idea about what this is, just whatever they hear in the next news pod uh, program is, you know, probably makes sense to them and they're reactionary. Like, yeah, you know, that, that was what happened. You know, I also wonder, you know, obviously the Clintons are very, very rich very very rich but i think relative to trump you know people they think about trump tower and stuff like that you don't think about clinton towers i imagine that there's some kind of idea that maybe could trump just, could just pay people off even like with uh, what just happened yesterday i think a lot of people are probably thinking man trump really uh trump really paid them off well and <laughs> at the on the other um, end of the spectrum, people think Trump is completely broke, and that's why he won't show his tax returns, right? So you have both things happening at once, always, right? But yeah, yeah I, just, I wonder I mean, if that's one of the what, that's one of the suspicions. 
But that I, I do think that point was a very important one in 2016 that we shouldn't leave off that. Like you had a candidate Hillary Clinton, who was like kind of known to have to peddle, you know, power for money and talked about how like when they left the White House, she was so poor and then, you know, got all no. these donations to the Clinton fund and everything. And mm. on the other hand, you had Donald Trump saying, I have a billion dollars. Nobody could buy me. I bought all these people, but nobody could buy me. I mean, that that's a hell of a contrast. You know what? what I mean, uh, for, for the voters to see. So I, I do think that's an important point. One thing, I guess, also, I'll just take real quick here. When we talk about the left uh, being all on board the Russiagate, we you know really mean like kind of Hillary Clinton, which is center left out to Rachel Maddow. But once you get beyond that, you have people like Aaron Maté, who wrote mostly for the nation, but has done the best work. And, you know, I think he's some kind of socialist on Russiagate. I mean, he has been out there every day on Twitter, taking on every Russiagate conspiracy. Um, you know, Mads Blumenthal, Dan Cohen, Ray McGovern, former CIA analyst, used to brief the vice president, you know, diehard leftist is saying absolutely not on Russiagate. Um, I'm trying to with foreign policy. It's a little bit harder to warp that. To fit your ideology, like person A blows up person B. I think the communists and, and the anarcho-capitalists can agree on that. Yeah, that happened. Person A right. blew up well, person B. And I mean, the best example is, of course, I've had Joanne Leon on my show at least four times now to talk about Russiagate. And me and Will Porter have been on her show through two or three times. And she's as left wing as you get, but she's been, you know, right on Russiagate all along. And, you know, we, we get along great because we just sit there and talk about all the lies that John Brennan and the rest of the FBI, you know, are telling all the time. Oh, it, it probably feels really good. Like, oh, we disagreed so much, but I don't know. It just feels so good. We can agree on this one issue. I got asked, have you tried to get Noam Chomsky on? Because I, I, I never have, but that is uh, an interesting thought. I mean, I don't do too many guests. That's part of it. Uh, you but, you know, that that would be a cool guy to have on one day and talk well, to him. Well, you got to do it quick because he's he is up there in age. Like, uh, you know, you might just might not have the chance in a few years. I think he's in his 90s now. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to get I want to get him on. I really want to get Norman uh, Finkelstein on. Um, foreign policy. I, I love those guys both in foreign policy. Uh, economics. Uh, no makes me pretty mad. Uh, I'll I'll give them that. But um, yeah. So I mean, we, we've covered a lot of the points here. I think you want to talk about uh, Maria. I don't know her last name here. I kind of yeah, Maria Butina. So go. this is a woman that was a you know kind of an NRA style lobbyist, a, a pro guns girl, uh, and then was smeared in the U.S. media as being uh, you know trading sets for power in the United States. Now her real story is is that you know she's in Russia. I think she's from like the Siberia region. It is uh, obviously from a young age, kind of a standout, very bright girl, and adopts very you know kind of. American two-way right to self-defense political views. Uh, this is really something that nobody has in Russia. There, there's not a drive to have a Second Amendment uh, style law, and the the gun outlook uh, in Russia isn't that great. But she did find, you know, sponsors among the Russian elites that you know were happy to have some kind of Russian interested in gun rights, and you know they believed in gun rights, and so she got some sponsorship from somebody who was fairly high up in the Russian government and came to the United. States and uh, you know did did some uh, lobbying around. She ends up you know dating. I don't know if she ever married the guy, but she lives now with this uh, Republican political operative, or did before they threw her into jail in solitary confinement. And he helped to pay for her uh, you know grad school education. Uh, 
And so, you know, that's them claiming that she traded sets for money, but this is, you know, just like a couple in love uh, and he's supporting her dreams and everything like that. Um, And she lobbied for gun rights in the United States. And obviously like, you know, if you're a Russian gun activist, this is something that's good because then maybe you could like have the NRA come to Russia or something like that. And that may be a big kind of deal. So this is the story. Not that she's any kind of, you know, Russian super spy hooker sleeping with American senators <laughs> to get the nuclear codes. Uh, but, you know, that was really the portrayal. And, you know, it, it's so disgusting because you have a left wing media who will run, you know, on their show all about how terrible and, uh, you know, racist that Donald Trump is for his border policy. And then they will take Maria Butina, uh, you know, a very bright woman who's, you know, come from Siberia to be, you know, involved in U.S. politics and, you know, really become a little bit of a player and smeared her as, you know, uh, trading sets. And of course, you know, the, the story about the, you know, I don't even know if they issued a retraction, but that she's not doing that is never as big. And it's just so sexist and it's so, uh, you know, anti-Russian. That's amazing that nobody, you know, at MSNBC is like, huh, we're writing these stories uh, about Donald Trump and uh, his immigration policy. And then we're talking about this. And man, oh. it seems to be a real contrast here speaking, on our whole uh, of it. PC culture values. <laughs> Speaking of MSNBC, I was I figured we'll kind of close with like you know finishing it out. Um, you know what's happening with the left right now? They're having a meltdown. But did you want to touch on this Paul guy real quick before you get to the what oh, yeah. Paul, actually ended? Paul Manafort. I guess we go. should talk about him because he's getting a lot of heat. So like kind of the two big trials that happened: Paul Manafort, and Michael Cohen, both got in a little bit of trouble. Things that had nothing at all to do with Russia. Paul Manafort has a little bit more to do with uh, like Ukraine and some money laundering and lobbying that he was doing in Ukraine. Everything was kind of for the pro-Western side. In fact, he was apparently lobbying the Ukrainian government to take a uh, EU uh, kind of austerity deal rather than a pro-Russian deal and to lean towards the West rather than Russia. So this is exactly counter to Russian policy. So it really doesn't make sense to me in any way. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Paul Manfort's in there. And then, of course, I'll just say that I think Roger Stone's a liar. And so I don't think he had any, uh, you know, real contacts with like, WikiLeaks between WikiLeaks and Donald Trump or anything like that. And there isn't any public evidence of it at all right now. Basically, he's, you know, just a, a big mouth. And I guess Paul Manafort bit, or uh, not Paul Manafort, Robert Mueller bit on it. And this is probably, you know, one of the best things that could happen to Roger Stone, assuming that he doesn't end up in prison for a long period of time for his lives, all the notoriety he's going to get off of this. I, I mean, if anybody has any questions about that, watch the Netflix uh, show, uh, Get Me Roger Stone, and you will have no doubt by the end of that that this guy is a liar and will do anything for notoriety. I'm so bad with names, uh, especially while I'm in college. Like, I just can't remember names. Is Roger Stone the guy that got raided and arrested recently or is that someone else? yeah 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 he's the one with the yeah, tattoo okay. of nitson on the middle of his back right okay <laughs> on the middle of his back yeah there you go <laughs> you know how he is um well, yeah, we, can I say something real quick, though, go just yeah, about go the general hysteria that this has created? And I think this is like the, the most destructive force here is that everything Russia became bad. Russia became the source of all ills. And so now they're malign actors in the Middle East. I think this makes the Syria policy more difficult, especially looking at the landscape right now in Syria when it's clear that the Assad and Russia side has won the Syrian civil war. There needs to be some kind of reconciliation with the Syrian uh, Kurds, which is currently where the U S is occupying Syria. And 
it seems to me that the, the Syrian Kurds are really looking to hold on to more autonomy and hoping that the U.S. stays in that region of Syria. And so that war can't be cleaned up until the U.S. leaves. And I think that's a real problem, especially for Donald Trump. If he looks to cut a deal with Assad, the Russiagate cl- cloud hanging over his head, everybody is going to assume they did this because, uh, you know, the, for a while they're talking about compromise, that uh, Russia has compromising information on Donald Trump. The FBI investigation of that turned up absolutely nothing of course uh but at the same time you still have the the syria policy all messed up for it i think it's really hurt russia relations with uh our u.s russian relations in general when you look at any time trump is trying to repeal sanctions uh he gets that the the sanctions are all unnecessary Uh, a lot of them are because of sergey's or paul poisoning i don't I don't know if that's a false flag, but there's a lot of questions there. And definitely at spelling all those Russian diplomats was way too premature and it can't be undone because of this Russia hysteria, and especially at a time building up all these newts, getting out of the INF treaty. Uh, you know, it's a, a very dangerous situation. And especially since I think it's 2021, the new START treaty would run out. And that's a really important nuclear arms control treaty between the United States and Russia. And if we don't have a, a sensible view of Russia in this country by that time, and don't have a, a president that could approach Russia sensibly because of the Russiagate hysteria, this is a very, like, a scary situation to me yeah it's Um, like it's like imagine like me and you are in this thing where there are a bunch of different sides making up making up stuff about us so we're kind of stuck and it's like the media is making out me and you to be enemies now me and you actually go and try to talk each other and the media sees that and it's like wow they're colluding together it's like no uh you created this false situation for us we're trying to talk about it so trump can't even go talk to putin if he goes and talks to putin that that's colluding with putin i mean yeah no Right. They're demanding the transcripts from the, the talk. You know, this is something that's never been demanded before. And, the, you know, they're co- Donald Trump and Vladimir Putin were alone together in Helsinki for an hour. What was said? What was done? You know, this is yeah. the, the level of hysteria is absolutely crazy to me. It's disgusting. Um, I, you know, point out that journalists standards took a complete nosedive. I don't know if it's because journalists really believed that, you know, this compromise compromising information exists and that Donald Trump was either the puppet of Vladimir Putin, a Manchurian candidate, or in some way compromised as president and unfit to do the job and, and seemed to be willing to print just about anything from any single anonymous source, no matter what kind of backing it has. So that's been a huge destruction in journalistic integrity. I mean, one great example is the, you know, Vermont oil art, electric company whole scandal that went on kind of right at the beginning of the Trump term, I think when there was like some fool, like got fished right uh, from this electric company. And uh, then there was some access by some, malware into the system and they blamed it on russia instantly and there's all this hysteria <laughs> oh now they're going after that they went after our voting machines oh it turns out that's fake too and so there's been all this false fake news i can't tell you in the past two years how many headlines i have read that they were really closing in on trump and that some kind of you know charges were coming and that he wasn't going to be president anymore and what we get from Mueller today is that that's not happening. So, yeah. you know, we had a complete disruption in, uh, you know, 
journalistic integrity and what it means to, you know, to publish news and have sources and all this kind of stuff. Uh, we've had s- such a destruction of, I think, America's views of Russians that, I, I mean, hopefully, uh, you know, all these people have so much egg on their face when there's no indictment whatsoever. Hell, I, I mean, I thought at the very least, like, Don Jr. or somebody would go down for something, <laughs> you know, at least, yeah. to, you know, have yeah. something here. And it turns out that they're not going to get even the littlest thing. There was some rumor going around for a while, and I'll, I'm going to wrap up here after this point. Uh, there was some rumor going around that, like, there was going to be some deal made, and, like, Don uh, Trump Jr. is going to go to jail along with his wife, I think, and, like, to, to, like, basically make it so Trump could stay president. It was a really, really weird theory. Did you ever hear about that one? Yeah, no, it's the, the Trump Tower media, I think, is the center of this. And no, I okay. probably should have brought this up because it's one of the big tenets of the Russia Gate conspiracy. But it, it's uh, it's such a ridiculous one. There's a Russian music promoter that wanted to get a meeting with somebody in the Trump campaign and made up something about having information on Hillary Clinton. Uh, <laughs> I think it was Don Jr. being stupid enough, took the meeting. After, like, five minutes in the meeting, he realized he was just being lobbied i think the woman wanted to repeal the meninsky act which is this thing that the united states usually uses pretty ham-handedly to attack anybody around the world that they don't like with our sanctions which you know is an economic blockade of you is pretty powerful i mean the u.s is a world reserve currency and so the the meninsky act really prevents people from doing business uh makes them a lot poorer and so there's a reason why russia at least will want it uh repealed uh but Again, this isn't any kind of collusion. It didn't go further than this. There was no handshake deal made. I think Don Jr. left the meeting early when he realized it was, you know, just crap. Yeah, I mean, this this stuff is often so filled with nothingness that it just disappears. Uh, like, whatever happens to that one case, like, that, that seemed pretty serious. Don Jr. is going to go to jail? Disappeared. Right. And, 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 you know, this is the important thing is that right now, then, everybody, like, you know, Aaron Mate and all those guys who have been right on it this the whole time, you know, Scott Horn, that I guess they should all be given shows and columns at the, you know, mainstream news sources since they were right the whole time. I mean, we can't, you know, have Rachel Maddow hang around after she was so wrong about this. <laughs> and yeah, you know, you know, I mean, like, that's never even a topic of discussion that, you know, there's going to be any kind of punishment for the people that were so wrong and told us all these lies. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I don't remember the Iraq war and the buildup there, but I've talked to Scott Horton about it quite a few times and he says it's, you know, uh, very similar. Yeah. Yeah. Well, for people that didn't know, um, my time is so if it was yesterday, right? I'm just making sure it wasn't two days ago. Yeah, no, it was, uh, yeah, Friday the 22nd that the Mueller report was given to the AG. The AG will have, I'm guessing, some time before he decides what's made public. This is going to be a a big part of the coming debate is how much of the Mueller report to make public. There's, uh, I think, a pretty legitimate kind of, like, law enforcement theory that if you have information on somebody that you're not going to indict them for, you don't give up all that information just because they don't then have the court process to defend themselves and kind of be proven innocent. So it's just an allegation that somebody made. I hope actually, I I guess that they make a lot of the report public just because the more of it that's kept behind, uh, the more that it's going to be, you know, kind of conspiratorial. Oh, what are they hiding? Uh, Mm -hmm. And no indictments are coming from it. So unless it reads something like uh, Comey's statement on Hillary Clinton that, (laughs) oh, Donald Trump was actually guilty and we have the proof, but we're choosing not to do anything, (laughs) uh, then I hope, you know, we could officially call the Russiagate conspiracy dead. 
I mean, uh, maybe there was a few Rachel Maddow like we would Alex Jones. Right. There was a few red flags to me. Like this is occurring on like a Friday evening. Like, are they really, really announcing it on Friday evening? That was that was the that may not be it, but that was just the first red flag. I was sitting there on my cell phone just watching it. I was just had up like I was just scrolling through different news stations, like seeing has anyone announced it? Has anyone announced the final news? Because it came out way late. It definitely came out like way late. It just dragged on and on and on. And it became more obvious that like shit. They know they have to report that. It's it it's not something they want to report with a straight face because they know it's just going to be a shit show after that. Because yeah, on the on, on the one hand, I think pretty much everyone on the left thought, or most people on the left thought he was going to get impeached, and everybody on Trump's side thought it was all bullshit. So the Trump the Trumpites right now they're feeling great. They're just like, look, I I knew this was the case. It's the case, and the left is just like. They're having an extreme meltdown right now, so I just wanted to read some titles to the articles of um, uh, and MSNBC. Excuse me, uh, meltdown. MSNBC threw the biggest tantrum since Hillary's loss uh, after Mueller. <laughs> that was one of them. Chuck Todd panel goes off after Mueller report finally submitted. MSNBC's Joe Scarborough says Trump is either losing his mind or lying. I'm talking to you, Donald. Like, like this is all this is all happening yeah, this yeah, came yeah. Out a few no, hours ago. I, I believe it. I'm not surprised. There's one that says uh, MSNBC's Chris Matthews is livid over Mueller's report. How could you let Trump get off um, the hook? <laughs> so, so, so you have like five different theories here. Like some people are just saying, look, um, why why did you let Trump get away with it? Some people were saying, uh, you know, I'm extremely mad about this. You know, this is this. This can't be right, you know. What what did you do, Donald Trump, to do this? Uh, it's it's totally crazy. Um, and the other little funny meme I have here it says MSNPC, and <laughs> that's that's I, I found that meme today. That's pretty funny. So, yeah, I, I give a, a shout out to Mans Raider or Pete Raymond, I guess now for the best meme I've seen on it. It's uh, Robert Mueller serving up a. a two burger buns with nothing on it <laughs> so that's my favorite thing and uh just i guess before we wrap up here i there's a couple more people that i think i should mention just so the audience hears their names and, and maybe if you see their names then on twitter or something you'll think about clicking on their work because these are you know people of decent integrity like caitlin johnstone i mean she even attended a ron paul conference and uh, she wrote her article today on the meal report as we should be like relentlessly mocking all these idiots who bit you know bit into this Russiagate thing. And uh, I, I do think that's a good strategy going forward. Dan McAdams and Ron Paul at the Ron Paul Liberty Report have covered this thing. And, uh, you know, so much of what I know is because I watch their show uh, Monday through Thursday every week and learn about all the, you know, important things going on in the world and about like Russiagate and, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. And then Peter Van Buren, uh, he writes a lot of places. I believe he's a contributing editor now at the American Conservative, though. And shout out to the whole American you know, conservative publication for doing great work on Russiagate as well. Maybe there's a Twitter thread that I'm in and uh, it mentions all the people who were right on Russiagate all along. So maybe I could uh, link that to you and you can link it in the show notes page. But yeah, this yeah, is going to be a ridiculously long show notes page because I've been writing all this down and I think all of it's worth putting in the show notes because it's also important. It all connects. Um, yeah. Is there anything else you wanted to add? Um, Cause I'm a, uh, cause I'll throw out some links at the end. Now, yeah, I'll just say uh, check out all my work. Uh, maybe one of the best places to go for what we talked about in this show is my website, immersionnews.com. Uh, basically, what I do with all my news roundup is I categorize 
uh, categorize them at immersionnews.com. So if you go to Immersion News and click on the Russiagate uh, link there, you will see uh, every pretty, pretty much story that I've covered on Russiagate since 2017. So you could go back through and read all the lies and all the debunkings. There's been so much, uh, you know, we could do like a since hour show. Oh, we could, I, we, it, I, I'd have so feel we got to end. Uh, <laughs> right, right. But uh, you know, even then, I would think, oh, man, there's like these five or ten things that I still left out. Yeah, I mean, would... it's, it's so bad. <laughs> there's like top 20, you know, Russiagate lies articles out there because there's been that many big lies with this story. Uh, but I, I hope I captured, I, I hope, the most prevalent ones today. And uh, I hope this is a little bit of a victory, especially for U.S.-Russia relations and the whole nuclear issue and all that. I really don't give a care. Uh, about you know Donald Trump being a legitimate president or not? I've, yeah, I, I mean I don't know. Maybe he's a little bit better than Hillary Clinton. Maybe he's not. But um, well, I guess at the, the, last yeah, at the end I'm... of the day, though, I, I just want to like make the point that the reason that I think this is good news is because it could improve U.S. Russian relations and you know the the whole delegitimacy of the U.S. elections. I don't think is a great thing for us all culturally. Yeah, it's just really about where the conversation is going to go from here. Like the last point I add is. Um, I think the left right now, they're very, very conscious of the fact that they got to they got to do something quick. Um, if time goes on and it's just like, man, like Mueller lied, Mueller lied, Mueller lied and days go on. They're going to start the they're going to start to do it to themselves where Trump is going to get elected 2020. And that has to be a big fear in their mind that, man, we really screwed up right now. That's probably what half of what people are scared about. It's like, man, like we're really, really counting on them getting impeached. By the way, we, we, we could have touched on, like, you really want Mike Pence? Like, Mike Pence is the guy? <laughs> All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to link to foreignpolicyfocus.com. Uh, excuse me, foreignpolicyfocus.libsyn.com. Um, I watch your show all the time, Kyle, not just because you're my friend, because you always have good information. Um, I don't know if you, like, sit down. Like, when I do my podcast, Kyle, I, like, usually read off a script, and it sounds like you're just, you're just spewing knowledge, man, all, all the time. So everybody check out Foreign Policy Focus. Um, also check out foreign policy focus episode number 213. I think you cover Russiagate in detail and that was a relatively old. I I don't know if that was like a year ago or, you know, it was, you're going to get some prior details a little bit farther back than right. uh, Right. Yeah. It doesn't cover everything, but it covered everything up until that point. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I could probably find an episode that I did on, uh, around the empire, my uh, friend, Joanne show, I can link to you for some more recent stuff, but you know, the, the more recent stuff hasn't, uh, I haven't done like a big comprehensive review episode. I just been kind of sprinkling it through all episodes. And I think like Steven does, you know, listening to most of the episodes is the best way to consume foreign policy focus, not just for the show's download numbers. And, uh, because I like when people listen, because you know, I do update shows as I go on every day, you know, so I don't review Yemen every day, but I may talk about Yemen two or three times a week just because uh, it's important what's going on there. And you do even more than that. You write for uh, libertarianinstitute.org. Well, I don't know if you write, write too much, but you're heavily involved with the site and you're working with Scott Horton. You're working with Will Porter. Will Porter's our good friend. Um, so we're going to link to Libertarian Institute. You're going to link to Immersion News. You're going to link to about 50 other things on top of uh, your Cherry Voluntary uh, episode coming out with Yemen. I'm sure it's going to be great. Uh, there's going to be a ton of links here, guys. A ton of links. I mean, no excuse for you to not grasp this at all. So um, thank you so much for coming on, Kyle, and uh, let's do this again soon. All right. Yeah, sounds good. Thanks, man.